Welcome to today's very special episode of the Baco Sports Report on the Live from Lake Balfour Podcast Network. Today we have a very special episode for you guys. Greg and Danny Silver, two of the most experienced guys around camp, both been here for over 30 summers, a lot of experience. We'll be talking to them about the Baco 3 and the Apache Relay as a whole, which was, as we talked about in yesterday's podcast, an absolute thriller. Uh, we broke the Baco 3 record and 19 shots it took for all four people to hit the Baco 3. So we'll be talking about what that record means in context to history, the Baco 3's evolution, and the Apache Relay in general, some of their sleeper events. A lot going on on today's episode of the Baco Sports Support. All right, and I'm now joined by Greg and Danny Silvers. So, guys, we are one day now removed from Olympics. The whole thing was crazy yesterday. It was an awesome sing, awesome patchy relay, just a great four days. So what's your initial reaction to yesterday's super tightly contested Apache relay, having seen so many over the years? Um, my 31st Apache relay, there's yesterday's, I don't know if it was the closest one as far as, like, the bucket brigade overflowing, you know, I think there it was a pretty decent get, not decent in like minutes, but it was clear who finished first, who finished second, third, and fourth. But the unique part about how close it was throughout, all four shooters basically being tagged at the same time. Yes. I think they were all running to get the ball at the same time. I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. Yeah, 31 relays I've seen, I basically remember all of them. That I, I'm pretty <laughs> confident has never happened. Um, and even like throughout the canoe, like even when it got to the canoes, I felt like all four teams were pretty tight. Yeah, all four canoes were in the water at the same time. And, you know, you got some separation at the bed making, which usually happens. I think that's one of the key events that determines. One of the coolest things was the flag, the flag running after the bed. Yeah, it's a brand new addition to the Apache Relay this year was one running event, which was a generic like running event, which went from the K house to the tennis courts. They made an addition. I don't know who did that one. That was all Allison. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was cool is it became like a waiter event. You know? Yeah, like it was, was like a, a generic like running event that was for like an like 11-year-old, and it changed into like a waiter event because you were now running while waving your team's flag. Yeah. 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 So for those, uh, for those at home that remember the relay, if you remember the bed making, which happens after the waterfront events, happens right in front of the Cowser house. And then after the bed making, the relay sort of goes to the tennis courts and disappears into that part of camp before you see everybody again uh, when, uh, you know, you run down with Camp Baco to start the Bucket Brigade. So that run from the Cowser House to the tennis courts, which used to include a lap or was just a run, now somebody carried the flag and ran across that lower path um, with the flag facing the lake and everybody lined up on the hill. It it was a pretty cool event, first time we've done it, and four waiters did it, which is kind of cool to set that as... A new waiter event. So that was the one new event in the relay this year. But as far as the relay as a whole, obviously the Baco 3 was the highlight. 19 shots it took the four shooters. Um, I heard some stat from first shot that Glatzer took to the last shot that Steinberg took. Yeah. It was 49 seconds in yes. total. Wow. That, that. That's insane. That so um, That's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, I know we're going to get deep on, on the Baco 3, but out of a great Apache relay, that was obviously the highlight. That was there, Another highlight I noticed was, you know, traditionally a younger kid runs down with Camp Baco painted on his chest. Yeah. And it was, you know, it it's was like it was the same this year. But, but Yeah, well, there was like, it was like three Funhouse kids. And it like, was three Funhouse kids yeah. and a waiter, you know, yeah. I think. Uh, Andrew which, Cohen which It was down. Andrew Cohen who ran down. And Frodo when Spencer Rosner, head waterfront, was down <laughs> at the lake, 
sort of managing all the lake events. And when he saw like three Funhouse kids run down and, you know, he's explaining to them how to wipe the Camp Bake off their chest, he saw Andrew Cohen like run into the water and he didn't know what was going on. And uh, it was sort of like, you know, you, you go to camp for a million years and you still see like new and surprising and interesting <laughs> things every single time. And that was cool. And I think it, it might have given Oneida like a little bit of a leg yeah. up at some point. Yeah. There was a waiter, uh, a little big history here, a waiter of 1992 that actually did the same thing. Am I allowed to say his name? Of course. All right. His name was Craig Cash. He was actually my counselor twice and he was the captain on Blackfeet. I was on Blackfeet. That and year. he was clearly the leader of, of that team and he knew probably when he walked into camp that summer that that's the event that he wanted to do. So he ran down with Camp Aco and here we are, you know, what, what, what are we, 27 years later, uh, you know, another waiter running down. But it was a great relay, great Olympics, great sing. I thought all the teams were very prepared. Um, you guys use your team meets wisely and it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, how would you say like, you know, so like something like the Camp Aco event, like painting on the chest, making the bed, like all those type of like all those like classic events, like, how would you say over the years the Apache really has like changed and say the same? Like, how do you guys balance like putting in new stuff, adjusting the number of kids in camp, but also like keeping some like the classic? I, I think one one of the most important things is, and this is what I was telling the camp last night is, it, it's really it's so unique and special because every single human being on the grounds has a role, yeah. you know, and everyone sort of focuses in on whether it's carrying an egg on a spoon, uh, orange on a spoon, or jump rope or leapfrog or swimming with rocks or whatever. Or, or just, ringing the bell to start, you know, yeah, the office just a counselor staff, judging yeah. the mummy wrap or making the bed. And you know, Danny and I always get a kick out of assigning the counselors to the events, you know, which is, and it's, it sounds silly, but it's, it's actually an important, it's an important piece. You got to get like confident counselors that can judge the mummy wrap or like an organized counselor that still knows what hospital corners are for the bed, like that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess, it, it, the Apache Relay is one of those things where you can think back to like your youngest days in camp and even if you're someone who doesn't have like a crazy good memory you probably still remember what events yeah. you did when you were little so it definitely has that like tattoo on your brain um, and yesterday was just a classic relay I mean yeah. that was an all timer as far as events um, just to refresh the memories of you know Baco alum that are listening to this you know, you got the frisbee toss to start it off across the upper and the wheelbarrow and the orange on the spoon and the leaf frog. And that stuff was always jumping. Yeah, that's a but all the food events we got rid of probably somewhere between ten and twelve years yeah, ago. Yeah, maybe not that long, but about a half dozen years ago. Um, that was more of a safety thing. So we replaced it with I think when I got to camp there was a peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, I yeah. I mean we got rid of peanut yeah. butter all all together. But yeah, all all the food events, the my country tis of thee, the, the peanut butter melon. jelly, the watermelon. Um, some of it was a combination of safety. Some of it was a combination of just too hard to judge. Um, so we replaced it with some other stuff. Um, most notable one in that part of the relay is the mummy wrap, which I think they've been doing at Chinawa for years. Where basically yeah, the mummy wrap is a huge swing event. I mean, this year I think they were all really like solid mummy wraps, but that's really the main event I think before yeah. the three that like is um, determined. Like usually when you see the three, it's like three teams come together and then one team is like way behind. It's usually because someone like boxed the mummy wrap, but this year it didn't happen. Yeah, you can look, as someone who's seen the relay a zillion times, you can look at specific events as, in my opinion, the most critical. I mean, anything that involves like shooting an arrow or throwing a dart that could conceivably take a million shots yeah. obviously could backfire. But the ones that I think always determine the separation of the places are first the mummy, then the Baco 3, then the canoe, 
Canoeing, Zen, switching, the bed making. Switching the canoeing. Yeah. The big one. I think those are the big four. Those are the big four where time can really be made up. What do you, what do you think about a swooshy swooshy? Thing? Swooshy swooshy. Well, we that's Tokyo. another new one. So yeah, basically, yeah. what swooshy swooshy is, it takes place on the Domus Dome, which former Bako people, it's where the dome used to be. The court is still there. The dome is not over it. And you're basically bowling a mini basketball to hit. Uh, Gatorade bottles, almost like bowling pins, but you're doing it in like a three team, a three man. It's a little team. bit like horseshoes and cricket combined with bowling for Gatorade. Yeah. It's one of those. It's, it's, a, it's a Rick Weiss. It's, it's a Rick Weiss creation. It's one yeah. of those events where like the same person's done it for like seven years. Yeah. In a row. Yeah. So I think those are the big yeah. four. The sushi. I, I mean, if it goes wrong, I guess it could be yeah. separation. But those are the big four. Um, yeah, and those, then just the, 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 the focus on like a good bucket, you know, yeah. and just having the right waiters in the right, right spots right. And, yeah. and not spilling and not, you know, pouring bad buckets. and But that's, you know, that's just at that point. How you use the younger kids right. um, that really aren't as equipped yet to do some of these right, yeah, is I think key. We, and we saw some of that yesterday yeah. too where like... I mean, we're not going to mention any obviously names. Obviously, we're not going to yeah. go into in-depth yeah. names, yeah. but we definitely saw some things yesterday where like the placement of the little kids at... Different events, whether it be like running events, like yeah. or like putting, doing, making them throw darts or something. Yeah. Like it really. And as important is where you place your most qualified. Yeah. So you know, I know the backpack run has always the been a prestigious run, event, yes. but in my opinion, it's not a huge event because how much time are you really going to make up? Right. I think packing the backpack is probably a more consequential event. Agree. So there's also just like uh, even though you have enough team meets throughout the four days, it's not like you're going to like have a kid like dress in like soaking wet clothes as like a dry run or, or like you know hey like let's go take 10 minutes and like go to the go to the lake and like pack a back right, I would say the only, I mean? the only event before him the only events are before him to practice they go through is obviously practice a ton like the kids who are shooting once you know you're shooting after the shootout like you're spending so much time at the course shooting for throws and mummy rap is practiced a couple times like, yeah and I saw team. some kids skipping rope uh, yeah. you know around camp but I mean, when Dan and I were younger, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners here, like there wasn't really like a shootout for the Baco Three. Yeah, it was so like, I think oh, we we're gonna get into that. Yeah, so we should probably get into it. Like, so we break the record yesterday. Now it's a 19. Before that, the 2012s on the record, uh, they hit it in 21 shots. And the tw- and, and 2000, uh, 1992 was in 24, I believe. Something like that. Yeah, that was but, a long-standing record. Right. So I know you made a comment to me yesterday, Danny, that. You think that the shootout actually equips people better. So can you explain the evolution of yeah. the shootout and how you think that impacts? So, so Greg, feel free to chime in here too. So for those listening that were waiters in the 80s, you know, I, as far as I understand it, the way you chose your shooter was if there was any type of shootout, it was not a huge deal. And a lot of times just the best basketball player in the bunk kind of assumed the responsibility. And it wasn't necessarily just a waiter yeah. event. I in mean, the mid to late when 80s. I was, when I was a little kid, there was kids in bunk 22. I mean, Mitch Center, uh, former assistant superintendent, <laughs> Mitch Center shot it twice. Once in bunk 22 and once as a waiter. I, I mean, I think he was on pioneering staff. Yeah, he wasn't you know? even. So, yeah, 1988, three of the four shooters weren't even waiters. So, and I think when I was a waiter in 97, there was some shootout going on then, but it was nothing like now. So what happens now? It's a very formal event. Yeah. And to be honest, I really was a, not a fan of it until last year. Um, I kind of turned, turned the corner on it. So what happens is the evening of day one, 
every single waiter comes out to the court. Like after evening activity. After evening activity, the sun's the, the sun's going down, the lights on the courts are on. Kids above 13 are peeping through the windows, yeah. the cows are house is trying to escape the chaos to go watch it. It's like a yeah. whole big, there's a lot of buzz around. And there's a big formal shootout where each team goes to a basket and it's the first guy to win four rounds and there's a 10 shot max out and it you know, it takes a good hour, hour and fifty. Really you know, an hour. And yeah, I explained what happened in it. Yeah, it's, last podcast. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's it's very exciting, and I think just the pressure of that alone is the best simulation of what the pressure is going to be the day of the three. Yeah, I think the pressure for that, as someone who just did a couple of days ago, is enormous because when you're shooting the three, like you have as much as you you can go for until you make it. But in the bigger three, like. If you don't hit the round in three, four, five, like yeah. you're basically gonna be eliminated. Like it gets really competitive, and like everyone, there's so many competitors who are all kind of like living up to it that it's really hard. If you don't hit a really good score that round, like you're not gonna win the round, and you know that going into when you're shooting that if I don't hit in like three, four, really three or four, like someone on your team, someone is on my hit team it. is gonna hit it. So and just a, a little of bit of background, the the Baco three was always a big deal, but now it's enormous that non-basketball players spend the entire summer and part of the offseason probably yes, like a guy like jr who's like you know was not on 16s b like yeah, not traditionally just big just standing cheer, at the free throw line just, hitting shots like right. old school brett semmel style you know <laughs> and um and so when you get to the shootout you basically have to be a crack shot or else right. or, or and else. chronic too is yeah. a guy who Spent a lot of time in the summer. I'd always go, you know, during the like rest hour. You just see him yeah. on the court shooting, and he was good. And he got, he really. And that like, was that was the rest of his life. Right, be incredible. And now, right, and now he goes and hits the three and three. So, so I think the result of it all is if you just look at the numbers. Obviously, there are some outliers, but the numbers have been better on average over the last handful of years. Um, of course, you have your random twenty eights or your twenty fives. You know, twenty yeah, tens. But. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a car wreck, and that, uh, that was the exception. But I think you get a lot of single digits because I just think the guys are more rehearsed. There's better shooters. In order to get to that point, you have to basically be a 95% shooter just to yeah. get a chance to shoot. Um, I also love that Bruno does something on night two, I think, or night three. or Night maybe two both. and three. He, he does, a he does like, a, like a Bruno shooting almost like a dry run-through, and he, like, rehearses with them and like calls them out in different orders, in different increments, and sort of puts pressure on them in different scenarios. He has a clipboard. It's, like, really serious stuff. And, like, he keeps track. And, and then the guys can choke during that, and then it's like, okay, you got your choke out of the way. Like, now it's, it's go time and get painted up, and you're going skins. And, uh, and I, the numbers are clearly, you know, yeah, I'm a big believer in muscle good. memory, and even when... You're super nervous. A lot of times, the muscle memory takes over, and yeah, like you take somebody like Nikki Siegel, who probably last year, you know, shot in three every time in the shootout, and probably right. was the best percentage guy, and he shot in twenty eight or whatever. You're always gonna have that, but overall, the numbers have been. You don't see a lot of like fifteens anymore. You know, it's either like you're in single digits, the low single digits, or, or you get an implosion, which, you know, you try to avoid that. But I feel like. 19 just mathematically is a tough one to break, but I, I'm not surprised. I mean, right. I, I'm i not surprised at all. Just seeing, the, the shootout thing is yeah. – I like the shootout thing because it becomes like a bunk activity. And, and you know, at camp, as much – you know, there we have tournaments and Olympics and leagues and, like, there's, you know, social pressures and there's, you know, you got to – when you become a waiter, you got to, like, you have more responsibility. But at camp, it's not a place where, like – 
you build like the pressure muscle, you know, like you don't learn yes. how to like handle pressure at camp. You learn how to handle social situations and athletic situations and like self-awareness. But very rarely is there like a, a situation where you, where you get good at handling pressure. And I mean, three consecutive free throws from, you know, an athletic kid at 16. It sounds like nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys can do it with their eyes closed, but when we build, we create this whole thing around the Baco three and like, you know, like, a whole campsite. Yeah, and it just builds a lot of ca- the whole bunk shooting out and you know practicing it's an and working together. It's really the cool. Shootout, I I watch it and it's like when guys learn that they won for their team and they become the shooter. Just the hugs they get. There are people and, uh, crying. Yeah. yeah, there's people crying. People are so happy for one for, for one another. And I used to not be a fan of the shootout. I thought it was like a very contrived kind of unrealistic. I mean, they literally. For those shoot at home, they, they literally the are shooting in the dark. Yeah. I mean, you're shooting free throws in the dark. And uh, and you're taking as long as you can. But it's it, it's a really cool moment for the bunk. Yeah, the kid like Chronic, who's like you know, a stud hockey player all his whole Baco career. You know, whatever. He plays ball. He plays everything, but he's a hockey player. Right. <clears throat> now he's shot the three and three. I mean, he's he's yeah. good. Like, that's it. And, he's, you know, at first, at first I had... Mixed feelings on the whole thing, you know, being old school, well, you know, the basketball players should, should shoot. But I've always seen both sides of it. You know, you get a guy like Ben Cohen or Aiden Rabb who have spent right. their whole camper years on the courts. They deserve a chance to finish right, it. Right, and, right. But at the same time, the guy like Chronicle who never got the chance to, to have his name called at 14s or have the Hill cheer for him. It's a cool thing. You know, the Noah Zaretz and the Chronicles of the world who are quote-unquote non-basketball players that got a chance to step up and hit in three, it's great. I mean, you also have the reverse of that where you get, you know, the Brett Semmels and the Scott Bronners that, you know, were in that spot and shot it a million times in three. And then when it was time, you know, I think they both shot in 12 or something like that, which isn't anything poor, you know. But it's, I think it's a cool way to get everybody a shot at, at the line. Had it always been where the entire camp would be sitting there? And yes, yeah, yes, yeah. It's always it's been, been, yeah, it's always been. It's always because, been. I mean, the thing is, is like, if you're the Nick Siegel type who shot, and there's a lot of people over the years who've done it, who shoot a rough number of it, yeah. like, what ends up happening is it's tough for your team to come back for it, because it's, I mean, there's a lot of important events, like you mentioned before, things like canoeing, other events making the bed, but you can if you mess up the Baco three and no one else does. Like if everyone shoots it in like six, three, four, and then let's say just like you're just sitting Glatzer, Glatzer shoots it in like twenty five. Like there's no chance for Cherokee to come back from that because it yeah. just takes so long to shoot so, those free throws. Night, uh, sorry, twenty twelve had the record. What was it? I think it was twenty one. And. Ethan Canner shot in three for Oneida. Yeah. I, I don't remember what at what order they came in. And River, I think, shot in five yeah. for Cherokee. Uh, Vardaro was four or five yeah. for Apache. Yeah. And uh, Lee Shadow, who's probably the worst foul shooter of the four, got tagged when they were all finished. And he went out to the far court lakeside, basically in, like, Siberia. And he missed his first five shots. And I remember thinking to myself, like, he's never going to get out of there. Like, all the other three guys have yeah, like gone. A, like a mercy rule. Yeah. And, and it's, like, like, also really tough because, like, in those types of situations, you have, like, the other three people finish, like, they're crying. Yeah, the whole hugging thing. them. And then he made his next three. And I, I was – I think if he missed that third, he'd probably still be out there shooting <laughs> now. But, but it's just – you know, people forget that it's a relay. 
But if you're a shooter, for that moment in time, you don't care about the relay how fast. It's all about it's all about the number. It's 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 all about your number. And there's also the whole sense of being nervous for other people. That like secondary nervousness. Like when I shot the three, like I was like you know 16. I like nervousness wasn't like a thing for me, you know. And I whatever I bricked my first hit next to. Uh, bricked my fourth and then just ripped off three straight. And then, but I remember not being nervous. And then when Danny was shooting it three years later, I was way more nervous. I was more nervous for Greg than I was. Yeah, for I was myself. way more nervous and watching now, Danny shoot. Obviously, was, you know, I get to know these kids, especially the ones that spend a lot of time on the courts for years and years and years. And when they're about to get tagged, I I get yeah. I get so nervous for them because I don't want to see. Of course, you know, no. I don't, so yesterday after the thing, you know, Evan Glatzer, who's, you know, unanimously the best yeah. basketball player in camp and probably one of the best we've had and yeah. ever, you know, um, super stoic, steady kid, doesn't show emotion. He was more emotional yesterday than I've ever seen him after he hit it in six. And I think he was more emotional after the hitting it in six than he was after winning 16. Definitely. definitely. I, I've never seen him be emotional like he was yesterday. So, and pretty cool walking to, to the bucket brigade, I got a piece of him for a second, and I was like, you know, are you more pumped about six or that you didn't implode? And he's just like, I didn't implode. <laughs> I think I think he felt the pressure. I think you know? well, I think it's an interesting like conundrum because you have guys like Teddy and Chronic who are like obviously they won the shootout and they were dominant yeah. the shootout, but they're not like yeah, basketball they players. But guys like yeah. but guys like Chuck and Glasser, like there's a level of expectation mm-hmm. that comes with. Chuck, he's one of the best scorers in camp. I mean, just we, such a we've had shooter. we've had quote unquote the best player in camp shoot shoot the three in forty two before and twenty nine and you know Jesse Corn shot in twenty nine. Right. You know I mean, he still he still is not okay. The back of Glatzer's baseball card at Baker was pretty awesome. He's yeah. got tons of rings and tons of banners and he's league's champs. He's the number one tennis player in camp. Yeah. He's got but if he you know if he implodes yesterday, it's like that's right. probably in the first it's probably in the first right, sentence right, right. of his. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I th- and I also think the thing with uh, I just reading between the lines when I saw all the, all the shooters yeah. afterwards, I think the emotion came from just being happy for one another. Yeah, um, they were really happy for one another. It was a really bunk thing. And Eli Cohen, uh, you know, obviously not one of the yes. shooters, but such a supportive bunkmate was just like he was so happy about breaking the record. He had nothing to do with it physically, but like he felt a part of it and. The bunk, I, I think that's where the emotion That's the best part of it. Yeah, well, I, cause Olympics I remember, is emotional. Because I, I remember, yeah, because I was watching, I mean, I'm saying on Blackfeet, I was watching Teddy shoot. He went, he goes, make, make, miss. And I was like, oh, man. And yeah. I, I was not paying attention. And then he goes, make, 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 which is like, really, that might be the most impressive out of anyone. It, it was so, so happy. It was so crazy. But it was crazy. I saw Chuck miss his first shot. Then I started watching everybody else. Next thing I know, Chuck was run. I knew Chronicle hit the three. Yeah. Next thing I know, Chuck is running his ball back. And then I see Steinberg miss his third shot, and I look at Glatzer. Next thing you know, Steinberg's running his ball back. Right. It's just like it all ended so fast. I'm wondering if the Chuck Bookfar, Nate Bookfar brother duo is the lowest brother I don't, duo. No, the Goldsteins might have something to say about that. I think the Goldsteins were either 10 or 11. And uh, Chuck and uh, and Nate, I think, are t- 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 11 or 10. Yes, yeah, so close. Like we should dip into the archives and figure that yeah. out. Um, it's basically a fabricated good. stat, so whoever has the best one can talk about it. You know, it's right. not a real stat. <laughs> um, you know, the Baco 3 to me, though, I've always said, like, it's basically how, how the wind's blowing. You, you take a kid like Ethan Canner who hit it in three. I think if you have that shootout at another, or you have that big of three five minutes later or five minutes he, earlier, he, shows up he, 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 he could shoot it in 50. Right. You know, it's basically how your stomach and body feels at that moment in time. 
But I'm moving off that a little bit because mm-hmm. of how rehearsed these guys are. You know, I was I was pretty confident yesterday that no one was going to blow up. I wasn't sure about Steinberg. Teddy was probably the but, most. You know, I watched him make, you know, 49 out of 51 the other night. So right. it's like... He's also just a calm, cool kid. Yeah. never gets yeah. too high or too low. He's like, I didn't think Evan was going to blow up. I thought, you know, cool. if Chuck would go make make miss, he'd probably make his next Right, but then you also have a guy like Ruben, who... Ruben hit it um, in... Th- this is from 2017. He hits it in three in every single... One of the greatest yeah. shooters ever. Yeah. Hey, he's the best on, in-game on shooter game. we've had in camp that I can right, possibly right. remember. remember. I mean, like all those games. Yeah, he hit more than four threes in a game against Brandt, like, multiple times. I mean, he's a he was a, a lights-out shooter his whole Baco career. In-game, shooting yeah. around, yeah. horse. I mean, he's just... Right, and then he kills in the shootout, and he hits in three every time, wins four. And then he shoots down. Then he down. But I always thought it was the most impressive thing with Ruben is that, like... What year was that, 2017? 2017. Is that he... You know, he could have let that get the best of him. And just like he was literally smiling at the Bucket Brigade five minutes later, right. getting, you know, funhouse kids fired up about the Bucket yeah. Brigade. And that was just a real, uh, you know, speaks volumes about his character, you know, not to melt down after that. I, just, I think, just to put this in context for some of the older Baco guys, you know, I think back to my Baco career, and obviously I remember just about yeah. every, everything. I just think about the shooters that I had on my teams. Right. We're looking at the following numbers, like a 5, a 29, a 23, so a 28, you know, a 26, you know, a, you know, a 15. It doesn't happen anymore. Like maybe once every two or three years, somebody's in that era of 20s. But now it's, it's single digits. Like 19 is going to be tough to beat, but that 24 from 92 or the 21 from 2012, I see the numbers well, living in that, in that range. in 94 hitting it, like, is that like a huge uh, We had like it? a, we had Dratch in three, Springer in four, me in seven, and then Obi did it in like 12 or 14, but... But he'll, he'll be quick to tell yeah, you. Yeah, Obi will be quick 12. to tell you. It's like, yeah, he, he shot it really quickly, yeah. which probably isn't true. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um... But we had a good basketball bunk, you know. We had guys that were that didn't shoot it that were also bad. All four of us were basketball players, and we had four other guys that probably could have also hit it in low numbers. But was it was it like a big deal at the time to like hit it in that, or was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah, right. it was. It was. It was a huge deal, and, and so it uh, took a long time for it to get broken. Yeah, and I think well, the ninety two ninety two was uh, three was, Robbie George's and three yeah, Rick, Rick Farman and four, four, four Tommy Strominger and six Father of Funhouse Nicky Strominger, and then. Safalo in 11, right. and that held for a long time until 2012, where it was River, Canner, Vardaro, and Shadow. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if you know, we get to the 18 you know, And I think it's appropriate. I think the 2012s were labeled as like a great basketball bunk, and it was cool that they broke it. And then I think with this year's bunk, you know, for years, it was like, this is the next big thing. Right. And you guys, even though it might not have been the four guys you would have predicted, but, you know, it's cool that they got, you know, the 19. Yeah, it is really cool, the whole thing. So. 1919. It was really just a great Olympics overall. Yeah, it was like awesome. the the Baco three number and just the performance of the waiters and the closeness of the relay was all sort of like a microcosm. Yeah, I, just a really I remember great that, that relay was like Austin because Oneida finished first and then Austin Apache. I remember I was at the top with the garbage pal at the bucket brigade and it's Austin Apache at the same amount. Like yeah. the next bucket got yeah. second place, um, and I was just sitting at the top and I had no control over what was yeah. about to happen. It was like very stressful because I was just sitting there at the top being like, 
whatever bucket emerges next is going to come in second yeah. place. I have no idea. Yeah, how and you guys got it by like a good 15, and, 20 Yeah, but I, at yeah. some point, there was a point I had no idea which bucket was coming up well, first. Well, that's the thing it's is insane. that during the, the hysteria of the whole thing, you lose track of simple details. Like you get your buckets in groups of four because there's four buckets. Right. And then when your four buckets are going down, the team behind you's four buckets are coming up, and then they have their four buckets. And it seems like you're tied, but you're actually winning because right. your buckets are ahead. Right. Um, it's all about the But you don't know that. You, don't, you definitely don't know that as a kid, and you don't know that really when you're up top as the waiter because you're, you know, your mind's in a, in, in a million places. I, I, for those of you at home that weren't aware of what was going on that during the early days of Olympics, we were looking at like <coughs> three washout days. Like Monday was looking good. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was supposed to be thunderstorms. I think Thursday was supposed to be like high winds and hail. And we've had an unbelievable weather summer. I think we've had two rainy yeah, days all summer. That. It's rained at night a few times, which is like totally, you know, it's awesome. You know, when it's raining at night, you sleep well. But we were looking at like three days of like human anagrams and, you and know, like trying to figure out how, trying to, figure how, out how, how to about, get in the thing. How to get the games in and the field's going to be playable. And Tuesday we got through it without a drop. And then Wednesday was like 90% chance of rain. Yeah, there was a lot of people And to the point book. where we were scheduling the Superdome, like figuring out how were to... Were you guys like, upset that we no, bagged no. the early Reveille? Well, and we did early, early. Yeah, we did early Reveille There was Monday, a lot of Tuesday. people in our bunk who were hoping for chief soccer rain. Wanted to play chief soccer. See, but rain, that's cool, but Medman Tennis can't play right, in the rain right. at the right. same time. You can't so. Right, Robin in. So, yeah. so we, we, we were looking at 90% rain, and, and but when, when Wednesday, day three, when moving day was over, it was 429, and team meets were just ending in general swim. We're about to our first general swim of the Olympics. And that's when and the skies right. opened up at yeah. 429 and 59 seconds. And we got to go, you know, general swim turned into like an early five o'clock cleanup. And then we had an extra team meet that night in the rain because we had gotten extra periods in from early Reveille the two previous yeah. days. So it worked out. So then yeah. the relay, we're setting up for the relay. We're looking at blue skies all day, Thursday. It's going to be perfect. And all of a sudden, right after lunch, the waiters are cleaning up the dining room and it just starts pouring yeah. out of nowhere. We had no idea. We look at the radar and there's a massive like system coming and we were like, oh my gosh, we got to either get it done now or like we're talking, we're talking pre-DJ yeah. pre Jeff Yanni Relay Singh, like extending to a fifth day like we did in 97. And we look at, we're looking at the radar and no joke, the system, the storm just parted and went around Lake Balfour. And we, we got, got a perfect brigade. We got a perfect brigade. Perfect relay, perfect sing. It was just like it was almost like they knew that this was a special year for this. this and just year. another change for the fasciculus is so kind of a different topic, but um, some people from back in the day might think Oneida always had an advantage in the bucket brigade because they're closer to the arts I, and crafts. I heard that theory yeah, yesterday. So someone came just down to let everybody at home, you know, calm theory. their jets a little bit. It is now measured precisely, which probably should have all always been. It is measured precisely from the fill-up point to the bucket. So it's now staggered. It's staggered. If you look at it at, on the top of the slopes, the buckets look it's like a track staggered. And, race staggered. and also, where, how you measure is now roped off, and the kids are supposed to stand on the rope. So it's literally to, I think it's they said it was 209 feet and 8 inches from fill-up point to bucket in all four teams measured by rope that the kids were standing on. So... So we fixed that. So we fixed that. Another good highlight of the relay was at the end, you know, tradition, you dump the big buckets on the waiters, like such an adrenaline rush, and everyone's screaming yeah, awesome. and laughing and hugging each other. And 
you know, and then when you go down to the lake, whatever, the waiters run into the crib and they start chanting, you know, like Mickey's name and Mickey like runs in looking like superstar Billy Graham, like Rick Weiss runs in, Danny and I run in, <laughs> DJ Jeff Yanni, who's here a day early because he's spinning tonight, he was there for the relay his, and the waiters chanted his name and he comes like he was, And he down. was on the, and the funniest part is, we, so we're all on the lake, uh, we're in the crib and he's on the slope just like. Like sitting there, like I don't know, he's like loitering on the slope, <laughs> and all of a sudden, like he's going for big loiter. Someone, someone just chanted like DJ Jeff. Another thing is, his <laughs> two of his dancers were playing the most intense game of tetherball through the entire Buckingham game. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they weren't into it. Um, so yeah, so Maddie and the guys just like they they, they chanted Yanni's name, and he comes yeah. running in with his, yeah. you know. It was yeah. his mustache and everything it was great. Yeah, it was it was, it was just an awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It was an awesome relay. Jumping in the crib afterwards with the waiters is always some of my classic, five sure. minutes of, you know, the best five minutes of my summer. It, it, it was awesome. I know the Baker 3 was the highlight, but the, right, whole, the whole thing was awesome. The whole yeah. Olympics was great. You know, congrats all all the waiters. Like, even down to the, you know, the readiness level of the kids at, at the sing. It, it, I just felt like everything kind of clicked and it was awesome for just the whole waiter bunk as a whole and the whole camp. Yeah. So nice job. Awesome. Everybody got ice cream. Yeah. yeah. Klondike's all around. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, Maddie, for Thank having us. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, off to do some intermediate league uh, semifinals. We got USA Is versus World today. Yeah. We got the semifinals yeah, in and tennis. Hope, and hopefully we, we will get the, playoff hopefully basketball. Hopefully we'll get the guys who shot the three on the podcast, too, cool. for an interview cool. in the awesome. next day or two. Awesome. awesome. Thank so, you, Maddie. All right. All thanks, Maddie. guys. Have a good one. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to the Baker Sports Report. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Wasserman, saying so long, and we will see you next time.